to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So we're going to be in Ezekiel 1. And the last time we finished up with the book of Revelation, I taught Revelation 12 years ago. And this time around, it's amazing. The stuff that happened in the last year, put the distractions of what you see on the media every day aside. You got to look at the big picture. What's going on? What's the big picture? What are they trying to distract us from? So you really look at this aggressive globalist movement. Um, Revelation 19, I really wrap it up. And even talk about how the United States is being carried away with some of these ideas. And God tells us specifically what's going to happen to the future of the world. Um, you know, this Antichrist, or he's really, a, he's a globalist, but he's, um, he's going to centralize control. He's going to say, oh, I'm going to solve your problems, problems in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so... You know, so we see that coming, right? And the good thing is, and I say this for people who struggle and say, oh my goodness, this, I see what's going on and it's kind of depressing, but understand that God pre prophesied it all and uh, he also has a plan. So that's the real blessing in that. So if God can tell us, listen, I see this and I've seen it thousands of years before it happened, but I have a plan, which is, which is an awesome thing. Today, the message is titled um, Ezekiel's or God's vision to Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to actually cover chapter one, but we're going to see it in two parts. It's going to be the first part today and then the second part next Sunday. And we're going to look at today's uh, portion in four sections or four parts. So I, I always do this. You know, this is a book that was written, uh, gee, 25 and change, 2,600 years ago. And what I have to do is bring it up to speed, you know, to our culture. We're Americans, you know, we're basically a new country. Uh, we're, we're, we're sort of disconnected if you don't travel outside the country from the rest of the world. I say a lot of times we live in an Americentric bubble, you know, oh, just what's going on in the United States, the culture and stuff. There's a lot of things going on in the world that we don't always get to see on the evening news. So... Who, what, where, why, I kind of get everybody up to speed on what's going on in Ezekiel. Why do we care? Why is it important? So let's jump into Ezekiel 1, uh, the foundation, which is the first out of four parts. When did this happen? As I said before, this is roughly a good swath of the 6th century BC. So that's a long, long time ago. Overseas. Um, in areas that we know as Israel, but really, uh, by extension, Iraq, Syria, right? You know, Iran, which used to be Persia. You know, it's I just I've learned how to be really good in geography and topography, studying the scripture, especially the Old Testament. Uh, who was it about? Well, I could say Ezekiel, but primarily it's about God. Because God wants us to have these messages as his people. What is he saying? What does he want us to do? What does he want us to know? What is God communicating to us? Um, who does he use? He uses Ezekiel. Ezekiel literally means God strengthens. And Ezekiel was going to need it. He had two offices. He started as a priest and then becomes a prophet. And we'll talk about that. It, 
if you understand the, um, the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the Nabopolazar, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, all the different kings, you know, I learned this Hammurabi when I was, I mean, that was a more ancient version when I was in grade school. I actually went to some good public schools that taught me some good stuff. I still remember it when I go through the Bible. But basically, the Babylonian Empire just ex- kept expanding as these empires did just taking more and more land, conquering more and more people. And eventually they get into the the area that we know today as Israel. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had three major assaults on the Israelis at the time. And the last one was the worst because they knocked the wall down, they destroyed the temple, they took the gold out. Um, And the Wailing Wall today is a remnant of, well, when it was rebuilt and then it was knocked down again from the A.D. 66 to A.D. 70 Roman Jewish Wars. So there's a lot of history in the scripture. But very interestingly enough is that the Babylonians, what's called expatriated. So when they conquered you, they took you by force, caravans of thousands, sometimes ten thousands of people, and made you walk all the way to Babylon horrible experience. Uh, It was the old version of what we call today psyops in the military. It was a psychological deterrent. You know, take a lot of the people out of the place you conquered, put them in a place they're not familiar with, they can't rebel, and then take your people and send them to the place that you conquered to start a new life. So you sort of dilute these nations that you conquered. It's wrong. It's horrible. I'm just telling you what happened, though. So this is the background, okay? Ezekiel is a fascinating book because there's a lot of things about Ezekiel. There's the uh, elucidation of who Satan is. We're going to get to that. Uh, The dry bones. Most people are familiar with it. They made songs about the the bones coming together. We're going to see what that is. The Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, which the battle lines are drawn today overseas. We're seeing it right before our eyes. The heavenly visions and the mysterious temple of the last days. If you're new to the Bible, don't sweat it. I'll walk you through it. Um, for those of you who studied the Bible for a while, you, you know these concepts, right? You're familiar with them. The setting, what was the setting? Pagan Babylon. Pagan Babylon. And, you know, the, the children of Israel, no doubt when this happened, were demoralized. They were demoralized. You know, they were taken away from their homeland, which was a, there was a spiritual connection to the things of God. So it makes it more painful, right? But God wanted to show them that he wasn't done with, you know, that they needed to. So we, we see the whole prophecy. We see the vision. And uh, God is, is saying to his people, this is, you're going you're gonna to see what I do. You know, you, you're going to see what happens here. I'm still God and I'm greater than the Babylonians. Okay. A point of interest, Ezekiel and, and Daniel, the prophet, were about the same age. Ezekiel and Daniel, they were both expatriated to Babylon, right? And at the same time, Jeremiah the prophet was a little older than them, but he was ministering in a pile of ashes that was formerly known as Jerusalem. So the question is, which is worse? Being forced to go to Babylon, different culture, different laws, different, you know, every language, or to stay in a place that your enemy just conquered and burned with fire and, you know, the, they just took everything that was of, of value. So it really wasn't a great choice. So Jeremiah is ministering in, it's still in Israel, and Ezekiel and Daniel are taken away to Babylon. And again, on the surface, it seems, you know, and we, folks, we do this today. 
as Christians. You know, we go through a difficulty and then we wonder, where's God? And, and we, we wonder all these things and this is going on in my life. And what we don't realize is that, is that God can use us in a mighty way. You know, um, there have been people throughout the ages that have wrongly, you know, mostly in other countries, been thrown into prison for being Christians, and they've ministered, they've done prison ministry. They're like, well, I'm, I'm here anyway. And they start spreading the gospel to all these prisoners, you know, people in POW camps, you know, that they started spreading the gospel. Um, even under the, the Nazi regime in the concentration camps, they had uh, barracks for pastors and priests, right, and rabbis, because... Because Hitler didn't want anything of God, obviously, what he was doing. And, you know, there was one in Dachau called the Pastor's Barracks. And they just started spreading the gospel because all these pastors were in prison. So, you know, we, we look at the world sometimes through my, a, a myopic lens. And sadly, I blame American celebrity Christianity, which I'm not a fan of, because it makes you think that everything has to be wonderful all the time. That's a lie. That's nowhere in Scripture. Tell that to Jeremiah. Tell that to Daniel, right? Tell that to the persecuted church today, our brothers and sisters we're going to see in eternity that are being persecuted overseas. So it's not reality. Okay. God has his people everywhere. And in times of crisis, he wants to know who's available. Who can he use? And you might say, well, I have a limited education. I work a menial job. Awesome. God can use you. What? what you, we, I just told you. Right. You know, we, we all do our part, no matter how small or insignificant we think our part is or we think that we are. So why did this happen? Great question. The nation had turned its back on God largely, and God was under no obligation to protect them from their own consequences of their sin. And what do I mean by that? I mean that God had a covenant with the, with the Israelites. And you see this happening throughout the, the uh, centuries and the millennia uh, with, his, with him and his people. This back and this ebbing and flowing. God would, sometimes it would be in writing that God would speak through Moses, that God would speak through Abraham, that God would speak through the prophets. And God would say, you know, I have a, a relationship with you and I am your only God. But what happened was the people looked at the, what the pagan nations, what they thought they had. The grass is always greener, you know, until you get over there, right? And you find out that it's not. You ever look at a lawn that looks really nice and you get really close and you see these blotches, but from the road and sitting in your car, it just looks like it's all uniform? There you go. That's just my spin on it. But... What happened was the God shows, and we're going to see this, Ezekiel through the vision sees the house of God, the temple, with all these vile things, what the leaders were doing, what the, the kings were doing, what the priests were doing. It started to become corrupted, and that's why God would send his prophets uh, to speak to the people and to try to talk them into repenting. I would say this too, and, and I look at our own country, and you can see some parallels is that leaders, think about this, leaders are a reflection of the culture, right? Famous people, wealthy people, powerful people are a reflection of the culture. If the culture got together and said, this is what we want, the leaders would have to bow to it just because of the sheer numbers. So it happened in Israel, and I think I can, you can see it in this country. Why is everything so... Why do some of the worst people have the most power 
right? It's oftentimes a reflection of the culture. So you see a lot of, um, and again, this, listen, this isn't a message that's going to make the church rich or uh, it's going to fill the seats because it's not popular. We're telling the truth and competing with a celebrity Christianity that's telling a false fairy tale. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the false teachers and the false prophets in Israel were saying, don't worry, this is going to be temporary. Israel will rise again. And it actually wasn't true. But Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel knew different. They knew it was going to take 70 years before God allowed Babylon to, and some of them became believers. He allowed even Babylon to repent. Then they became so decadent as well that he uh, judged them. And then the Israelites, awesomely enough, were sent back to their own country by the next empire, which we know from history would be Medo-Persia. So a lot of, lot of really neat stuff going on. Um, you, you, it, wasn't, it wasn't fun a lot of times being a prophet. Sometimes we, we look at the Bible and we read it and we romanticize the Bible. Oh, Isaiah ministers to me. Isaiah died a horrible death, right? Um, oh, the, the Apostle Paul, I love his writings. He got beaten for his faith. He got imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was slandered. He was maligned, right? So, but the good thing is he knew what drove him. And he knew, because he was taken up to the third heaven, he knew the, the heavens. He knew what what. God's throne and the angelic beings and the glory. So he, you weren't going to deter him from pe- tre- preaching the message of salvation to the masses. So let's jump in. Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the captives, actually by the river Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, and the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So sometimes the Bible writers would speak of themselves in the third party. Um, so this is two out of four parts is the time of the vision. The time of the vision. So the first thing we see is it's the 30th year. Most likely Ezekiel is referring to himself. Now the priests, by God's law, would start at 30 years old. They wanted, God wanted to make sure the young men were, were mature. So he had this age where they started their priestly ministry. So if Ezekiel was 30, he wasn't a priest very long uh, before Babylon comes and invades. And guess what? He pulls Ezekiel, the Babylonians pull Ezekiel out of Jerusalem. So you can't minister as a priest. Maybe you could as a Levite. You could as, as in some semblance. But most of your duties as priests and Levites were connected to the temple in Jerusalem. So here this young priest, 30 years old, he's starting. He's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and the Babylonians get through the wall. And he gets rounded up and taken to uh, to Babylon, right? So what probably happened is that God changed his commission. He goes from a priest now to a prophet. And again, people say, oh, he was a priest and prophet. That is awesome. But he, he, he did it, unfortunately, in a temporal sense. He, he did it, it was, there was hardship. 
But you know what? After he sees what he sees, he's, and, and God did this. He would, he did it to John in Revelation. He did it to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He did it to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1. He shows them his, a, a portion of his glory. And it gives them like a shot in the arm to go out there and, and serve God and minister to the people. Because like God shows them. They see God. They see his glory. They don't see him in, in his perfect form because they're still sinful human flesh. But they do see some glorious things. And we're going to read about that. Kibar, uh, there's actually a river named that that's still in existence in that area. Remember, this would encompass Syria, Iraq, uh, you know, and, and that area there, and you know, you got your Tigris and Euphrates, you got certain rivers that flow in different directions. So there actually, I looked it up, there is a river that seems to resemble this. And Ezekiel ministers in what? A POW camp, right? We've heard of POW camps. Ezekiel was a prisoner of war. <laughs> and, and, you know, he sees this vision of God and, and he's, he's going out there to encourage the people. But he's in a POW camp or a POW village, right? They're captives. No doubt the government's keeping an eye on them, making sure they're not starting a rebellion. So, you know, what I love to do in my sermons is, is to get you up to speed to what we know today and then retroactively apply it to what we see in the scripture. Amen. So we, we see what's going on and we say, well, what, what, can, what is that commensurate to? And then we would come up with something that we're familiar with. It's been happening for thousands of years in warfare. The equipment's changed, but the way battle is done is not. If you went to a military academy, you would know that. Um, we're mentioned, or Je, King Jehoiachin, and he was known by different names. Um, he's mentioned here. The problem is King Jehoiachin was listening to the false teachers and the false prophets. He didn't repent like his grandfather Josiah did. Josiah was awesome. That's why I named my son after that awesome king. Um, so God just, he, he just removes his protective hand. And the king is, is also taken captive. That's a trophy for an invading army. Studying warfare, right? So Jehoiachin, and it's kind of sad because... Jo Josiah was a great man, a great godly king, but his father and his grandfather, one of them repented, um, weren't good people, and his sons and his grandson weren't good. And that just goes to show you, you can come from a wonderful family and make the wrong choices in life, completely, God, prodigal. I just love it when the prodigals come back. God has always got his arms open, and we should too, for that person that does come back. Um, but it is, by the same token, you could have terrible parents. Listen, some of you come from broken homes. I came from divorce. My parents didn't know God, and I turned to alcohol early on. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was a young man, and I had no guidance, and my parents were too busy fighting with each other. Uh, so you could also come from bad situations and dysfunctional situations and find God and do very well for yourself in a God-successful way. So I just want to... I just want to encourage you with that. We see that all throughout the scripture. People do that. They think they almost brainwash them to think they brainwash themselves to think that they're no good because they were told that or maybe their parents didn't want them or whatever the case may be. But God could do a great work in you. Ultimately, you know, when my parents didn't give me what I felt I needed as a, as a child, you know, when I became a Christian, I actually put those expectations on God. And he fulfilled those needs. Amen? 
So that's what God is there for. It also says that God puts us in families, sometimes church families. So you just never know what he's going to do with your life. You just have to trust him. Why so many details? Well, because God wanted his people to know what he wanted. God is very specific. But also, this is also a historic record, right? You can go to any secular historic. Listen, history is history. It either happened or it didn't happen. That's why I love history. Because I use that to reinforce and bolster the things of God. But you can go into any secular histor- historical source and they'll tell you about these leaders and these conquerings and the time periods and the battles, blah, 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 all throughout. And it's pretty neat. So it bolsters what the Bible says. Um, last thing that I want to say before jumping into the next few verses is verse 3. It says that the hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. How do you go wrong when this is the case? I have to tell you that whenever I step into a situation that I feel is either dangerous or, you know, I've done, I would say it's a coincidence, but it's not. How do these people find me? But I've done funerals for politicians and, uh, you know, people that are known throughout the state and the area. And I just did one recently. Uh, I was, it was, there was a vacancy. We know that this, it's God coincidence, right? He just knows what he's doing. So um, I just went in there and, and lovingly eulogized the person, but boldly preached about God. What does heaven look like? What did the, the you know, the Bible writers see and, and the description? And so I went from the person to Christ, to salvation, to heaven. And I got a lot of, a lot of great, resp- and I'm like, I wasn't even feeling good that day. I wanted to take a nap before the, I just, I got sleep issues. And I'm like, oh, this is just not working out. And I couldn't take a nap. So I'm driving there. I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to lift me up because I, I'm just not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? And he did. And that's the beauty of God. And the Bible does say when we are weak, he is strong. So he can fill in those blanks. But the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to go anywhere. When I was a police officer and a Christian you know, I would go into these hot calls. They would come over the radio, flying at 100 miles an hour, lights and sirens. And I'd be like, all right, Lord, this one doesn't sound good at all. And it would be a short flare prayer, I would call them. Shoot, just send it up. I know he heard me. I Just give me judgment. And he always did. So, and I'm still here. So verse 4. Okay, we're going to look at the four living creatures, and this is the angelic realm. And that's where we're going to end it. But next Sunday, we're going to look at the four wheels the firmament and the appearance of a man. And it's going to blow your doors off what this is going to look like, or we don't know what it's going to look like. We only know how it's described, but how we can conceptualize it or visualize it. Right? So verse four, then I looked, Ezekiel looks and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the North, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And from within it came the likeness. He's telling us, I don't know exactly what I'm seeing, but this is literally out of this world. And let me do the best I can to describe it. So I'm paraphrasing. So you see the words that he uses. He's very careful with them. And when he's not sure, he sort of makes a comparison. 
is the likeness of four living creatures. How do you describe these things? They're living and they're creatures. That's the best he could do. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. Ezekiel's very observant. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. They had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides and each of the four faces or the forehead faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another. And two covered their bodies. Each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go. And they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of torches. Fire was going back and forth among the living creatures, sort of like the fire was, was, was dancing, right? Just moving back and forth. The fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I took this apart. I went into the Hebrew. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's powerful. So three out of four is, out of four parts is the four living creatures. Now, we were just in Revelation and we were just in Isaiah. I'm not going to go through the study of it because we already did that. But let me just make a comparison for you. So if we could put up Revelation 4, 6 through 8. We did this not that long ago. So John also sees something many years later before his commission. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. We're going we're gonna to cover that. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures each having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let's go to Isaiah, Isaiah 6. If you're not familiar with the Bible and you're seeking, you're in for a treat today because we're talking all about these, the heavenly realm and these angelic beings and the different order of angelic beings. So in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, I'm sorry, yes, 1 through 7. In the, in the year King Uzziah died, Uzziah was a very famous and well-loved king, and he reigned, I believe, for 52 years, which was unheard of. So here's a, a, a nexus, here's a mooring point, is that John, Ezekiel, and Isaiah all had a situation that surrounded them that was tragic, whether it was culturally or nationally. And before their commission, there was the tragedy, the commission, and in between was God saying, let me show you who you're serving out of the three. People say, oh, Bible's collusion, really? These books were written sometimes a thousand years apart. Different languages, different cultures, different people. How does that happen? 
Only God can make it happen. So in the year King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Seraphim is an order of angel as cherubim are. They're, they seem to be different. So God has, he's has human beings, male and female. He's got animals. He makes angels and they do different things depending on what their order is. Actually, Satan was a cherubim. We're going to cover that in Ezekiel 28 when we get to that point. Um, he fell, of course, because of his pride. But okay. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he needs two to fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the doors, the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah goes, woe is me, for I am undone. You see that and you're like, oh man, wow. I'm a sinner. I don't belong here. I hope I make it through this vision. Um, paraphrase. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal in which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin purged. So, and then Isaiah starts his commission. If we could put up the, if we could put up the image. So I'm going through... <laughs> The internet and I'm looking for um, Isaiah 1 and listen, artists have different representations of what they think it, it's going to look like. I found one that I felt most accurately represented what Ezekiel was seeing. So you got the, you got the fire going back and forth but we're going to get to the wheels. You've got the, uh, the angels, the angelic beings, their wings are touching each other. And then there's this firmament, right? The sea of glass in... Uh, revelation and then there's this appearance of a man and here's ezekiel bowing down which we all would be if we saw that right so that's to me i thought was the best artist representation but of course if you saw it live it'd be like wow that picture doesn't do it justice but that's just for for context and you know you can take it or leave it if you like it um ezekiel 10 tells us these these are the cherubim these pre, these uh these creatures Let's look at the details. So first, verse 4, we see the whirlwind, right? We see this storm coming. What does that represent? The power of God. God is greater than the Babylonians. I know my people, it looks bad, and I know you put yourself in that position, but I'm going to eventually get you out of it. But we've got to come to some terms first. So God is greater than the Babylonians. And I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting here today, what's your Babylonian, right? Who are your Babylonians? You don't have to say it out loud, but God is greater than your problems. You might have come in here Sunday morning, maybe reluctantly, maybe. And I hear people say this all the time. I almost didn't make it to church today, but I'm glad I came. So what's the problem in your life? Whatever it is, God is greater than that. So I just want to encourage you with that. God is greater than your Babylonians. The Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 2 comes as a rushing wind on Pentecost. So you see, the, the, best inter, or the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, is other scriptures. So you, you see this, this whirlwind, this storm, the power of God. We saw this, um, well, they saw it on Pentecost in Acts 
2.2. And there was a raging fire engulfing itself. What is that reminiscent of? Moses. He sees the burning bush. Can you imagine Moses? It's been on fire for a while and still there. What do we know about fire? It destroys everything. So, you know, fires don't just keep burning. I mean, the sun is, but it's also using up energy at the same There's reactions in the core, but it's losing its energy. This is something that he sees. It's, it's on fire. It's engulfing itself, but it never goes out. It never diminishes, and it never burns up the thing it's supposed to be burning up. Only God can do stuff like that, right? So Moses saw this too. With that, we see a radiating brightness and a fire. We see bronze. We see amber. Again, the glory of God, and also it's a picture of judgment. On the Babylonians eventually, right? The cherubim had four faces. One is the face of a man, representing in this planet God's highest order of his creation. Men and women are of that, we're sort of the top of the food chain. We have things that the animal kingdom, um, we possess that the animal kingdom doesn't possess. We also see a lion, dominion, power, right? The lion, um, the ox, service and strength, and the eagle, the glory of flight. (laughs) When you look at the four gospels, you see a representation, right? Luke is a picture of, of the man and intelligence and reasoning ability. Luke reaches his followers through that, through intellect. He's a doctor. Uh, we see the mark. It's shortened to the point. And people have said, oh, it's, it's like an ox. It's like a strong beast of burden. It just, it gets the point across. It shows Jesus as a servant, which he was. Uh, Matthew is the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's presenting Jesus as the Mashiach, the, the one that the Jews have been looking for for so long. The lion from the tribe of Judah. And John is seen as the eagle. Right. Um, And John and for us as human beings, we can't fly. You know, we get in a big metal plane and Bernoulli's principle takes us in the air until the fuel runs out and we have to land. But you ever watch the birds? My wife, my wife has like 100 birdhouses with birds everywhere and the things they can do and the way they can move. And you just sit there and you look at them. I love the bats at night because they get them rubbery wings and they can kind of turn on a dime. But the glory of flight, something we don't possess naturally. We have to have machines to do it for us. Um, And we see that in John's gospel, which was a picture of the deity of Christ. So you see Christ from four different angles. Um, They also possess, now let's go back to the cherubim. Let's move away from the gospels. They possess wings, hands, both human and animal features. And as God's servants, they represent all of creation. To some, they could read this and they could say, that looks freakish or that sounds weird. I wouldn't want to see them in person. Well, maybe if they looked at you, they think you look weird. How come you don't have four faces? How come you don't have wings? What's the matter with you, right? Maybe they look in the mirror and they go, I look pretty fly today, you know, with my four faces and, you know, whatever. I don't know. So the thing is, (laughs) if we saw it, and, and it was part of God's, we, we would see it in a way that looks good. And we're going to see them for eternity, aren't we, when we get there. So um, get used to it. <laughs> uh, I covered this again. So I'm not going to go into too much de- detail about the angelic portion, because then what could happen, and people do this, is 
they border on the line of what's called angel worship. Right? As human beings, we tend towards the tangible. God in his glory, it's, he shows us a piece of it, but we can't fully see him because we're in a sinful state, but we'll see it in heaven. But the angels, oh, I can, I can make that out. And we know that the Bible warns against, against angel worship. It also warns against man worship or woman worship or worship of self. We only worship God. So I'll just go basically what the description says. And then when you see the whole thing, you realize they're only a small part of what God is trying to show Ezekiel. So as much as we say, angels, angels, oh, I love angels. And they're cool. They are a small part of what God's plan is here. They're servants. As as Christians, we should be servants too. So verse 12, they move in a straight line. They're determined, undeterred, unencumbered. How come we don't make roads that go in straight lines? You know, they go through and you ever look at like a map and you go on MapQuest and from here to there. If it was just a straight line, I know what the reason is, but um, <laughs> we, we usually don't you do things completely straight. However, these, these beings do wherever they, they point, they just go straight. Um, we also see the spirit. Did you catch that? The spirit is the will or the driving force behind the cherubim, right? It's in there. Um, next Sunday, I'm going to make the case for the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we're really going to put it together and you're going to love it. Uh, verse 14, they move like lightning. They operate outside of our physics, right? Our physics, gravity, um, you know, atomic physics, there's rules and there's laws, Fission, fusion, electromagnetic forces, fascinating stuff. But it only applies to this creation. God does not have to live inside of his physics and his, he can do whatever he wants. And when you see how the angels move, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody can move like that. Exactly. Because they're outside of our dimension. Right? When we're in eternity, we'll be able to do things we never thought were possible. Okay. All right. So why does Ezekiel get to see this? I'm not here to say how Ezekiel felt, you know, and focus on Ezekiel's feelings. But Ezekiel, he was just a man. Isaiah was just a man. Abigail was just a woman. Mary was just a woman. These people were like you and me, right? And they had things that bothered them. So Ezekiel, is, his, his nation just gets conquered. He's forcefully taken, probably in fetters, to a POW camp in Babylon, has to readjust to everything. He's probably not in a great mood. He's probably not thrilled to death. Joy is probably low on the list for Ezekiel. So what God is doing is he's basically saying, Ezekiel, I have big things for you to do, but you have to see who I am first. And then when the vision was over, and again, I'm not going to speak for Ezekiel. He probably thought to himself, Babylonians, they have chariots. Look what God has. So pretty neat stuff. And I think sometimes God shows us that he will allow us to do things that are bigger than themselves. I can, I can say that our church isn't huge. Look around. It's not tremendous. But God is, um, if, you know, when I'm willing... And, and I try to be willing. Um, he shows me that I'm going to have you do this and you're not even going to see the full implications until you go, you come to be with me and I show it to you. And maybe he does that so we don't get a big head, right? Um, sometimes when we're involved in something bigger than ourselves, it take, it lifts us out of our depressive state. 
right? It lifts us out of our depressive state because you just see, wow, what's bothering you this morning? What's holding you down? What's, what's your burden that you've walked in to this place with? God wants to lift you out of that state. What, what can I do, Pastor Joe? I, I can't do much. Excellent. You're hired. God is looking for a willing attitude. He doesn't want the people coming to God and saying, you need me. That's not going to fly with him. So the fact that you feel inept or you feel broken, God's like, you know, I can use that. I can lift you out of that. Isn't that incredible? Verse 15. I'm going to finish up Ezekiel, but I'm not going to, I'm going to save all the, um, all the commentary for next time. And if you could put the image back up, please, the, just kind of look at it as we're going to it. So this section is the four wheels, verse 15. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their works was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their works was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went toward any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome, and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went... (laughs) God bless Ezekiel. Uh, When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Verse 22, the likeness of the firmament or the expanse or the, the gap, the word is sometimes used for sky in the Old Testament, above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one, of, each one had two which covered one side. Each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters. Imagine, you ever see like a um, hundred birds and all of a sudden, um, today's bird day for me. Uh, they just take off and you hear the flapping of their wings. Imagine hearing the beating of the angel's wings. That must have been like deafening. He said it was like the sound of many waters, right? Waves crashing, whatever. Like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. Last part. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness. He doesn't say. He doesn't know exactly what he's saying. Is the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. The appearance of a man. We're going to get to that. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. Remember the description in Revelation of of the risen Christ, the uh, ascended Christ. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw as it were the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy, rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. I'm going to go into, 
I'm going to go into um, things that we read in the Bible and men and women who have looked at these concepts and made inventions. They ran all the way to the patent office and they said, I have this idea. And they stamped it and that person is known for that invention. You know how many inventions come from the scripture? I used to work on cars. I used to tinker on a lot of things. And the whole wheel within a wheel, which I'm going to cover next time, for those of you that are into this stuff, think of constant velocity joints in the front of your car. Think of a wheel with, with um, oh my goodness, ball joints and idler arms and tie rods. The wheel, it turns. It's primitive. And the car goes the way it turns. Think of a gyroscope. Think of the X, Y, Z axis. We're going to put some science into this, right? You think those people are the ones who figured it out without looking or hearing about it in the scripture? I, I, in chapter two, listen, everybody has idiosyncrasies. When I get into chapter two, I'm going to get this out of my head. But every time I go into this, I think of that journey song, the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Two of those, actually two members from journey um, had a, uh, a reconnecting with God. I don't know where they are today. And this happens a lot. And it's amazing. Famous people worth millions of dollars. Their lives are still empty. Right. And they search out the things of God. Not everybody stays with him. But at least they start to search. What does it tell you about their life? It's not completely fulfilled. Why do they need God? So uh, <laughs> I have to save this for next Sunday. But where do we cover some of these inventions? It's really powerful. I studied a lot about the gyroscope and the XYZ axis. And, you know, it's, it's for orientation. But when you look at this, you got your X, Y, and Z axis is all covered. Wherever that wheel wants to go. It goes. It orients itself, and it goes in that direction. 2,600 years ago? Look at all the patents of the 20th century. There's another uh, admiral I, I'm going to get to, it. I'm going to do a little more research that when, uh, was it um, Ecclesiastes, I think it's, or Psalms, talks about the paths of the sea. He used that. He's like, oh, oh well, God said it. It must be true. He actually patented uh, sea lanes. And how the, the water and currents moves by the ocean floor and, and can take ships. You can actually cut down your shipping time based on your knowledge of the charting of the paths of the sea. Where did he get that from? He actually gave God credit for that one. So, you know what? When I'm up here, I reach the people who are agnostic. I reach the science-minded people. Everybody needs to hear about salvation because the Bible says that God loves all. He does. So that was four out of four. I'll leave you with this. You never know when God is going to call on you to do his will, but always be willing. You'll probably think you don't have the strength to do what God is asking you, but let him strengthen you. You probably think that you're not qualified to do the job, but that attitude qualifies you in your heart. You probably think whatever you do will not be significant to others and the culture, but it only has to be significant to God. Whatever excuse you have for not stepping up, I will have a comeback to encourage you to step up. That's I threw that in. So strap on your seatbelts, get ready for Ezekiel, because I have no doubt that every person who hears this will be ministered to, not by me, 
but by what's written in this book. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.